BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, January 4th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, The Verge and AT&T have a trademark dispute. The City of Los Angeles and the Weather Channel app have a location data dispute. More on how shows like Bandersnatch really might be the future of storytelling and the weekend long reads suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Here's a weird sort of tech inside baseball story. AT&T has apparently filed trademark applications for a product that it is calling Verge TV. And this looks like it might be the name for its upcoming video streaming service. However, our friends at, you know, the tech news site The Verge have said, not so fast. We already have a trademark for things named Verge. As T.C. Sadek wrote on The Verge, quote, Unfortunately, AT&T, we simply can't let you have The Verge, if only because being a brand that people love and trust wouldn't make sense to your customers. Why not try Go90 instead? We hear it's available, end quote. That's certainly biting. Dave Zatz joked on Twitter, bet Quickster TV is available. Michael Gartenberg noted that Oath is probably also available as a branding idea. This is all very ironic because The Verge, and especially The Verge's Nilay Patel, are notoriously combatant with big telecoms, and especially with AT&T in particular. So this is either a hilarious accident or absolutely AT&T has picked the wrong people to poke in the proverbial eye like this. Also on the legal front, the city attorney of Los Angeles has sued the company behind the Weather Channel app, which is owned by IBM, if you'll recall, for, as the tech meme editor put it in the headline for this item, slyly using location data for commercial purposes. Quoting the New York Times, The government said the weather company, the business behind the app, unfairly manipulated users into turning on location tracking by implying that the information would be used only to localize weather reports. Yet the company, which is owned by IBM, also used the data for unrelated commercial purposes like targeted marketing and analysis for hedge funds, according to the lawsuit, end quote. The lawsuit specifically cited an article also from the New York Times, which I think we talked about last month, about the big business that has sprung up in location-aware app data, how IBM bought the Weather Channel app precisely to get at this data, how Foursquare basically reinvented its entire business model to become a location marketing company, and, as we said, how even hedge funds are buying location data from your apps to do things like check how often people are visiting particular stores and such. Quoting again from the Times piece, 
In the complaint, the city attorney excoriated the weather company, saying it unfairly took advantage of its app's popularity and the fact that consumers were likely to give their location data to get local weather alerts. The city said that the company failed to sufficiently disclose its data practices when it got users' permission to track their location and that it obscured other tracking details in its privacy policy. These issues certainly aren't limited to our state, Mr. Fuhr said. He's the city attorney. Ideally, this litigation will be the catalyst for other action, either litigation or legislative activity, to protect consumers' ability to assure their private information remains just that unless they speak clearly in advance, end quote. According to SEC documents, Niantic, the mobile AR gaming startup best known for producing Pokemon Go, has closed a $190 million funding round, bringing the total capital that it has raised over its lifetime to more than $415 million. The rumored valuation is $3.9 billion, and among the investors are purported to be Founders Fund, Spark Capital, and Samsung. What to spend that money on? Well... Sometime later this year, Niantic is expected to release its next major title, a little something called Harry Potter Wizards Unite. What did we say about 5G devices and CES? D-Link has announced a 5G Wi-Fi router ahead of CES that promises to deliver you internet at 40 times wired broadband speeds, provided you live, of course, in an area that has 5G coverage. The router uses a Qualcomm chipset that can transmit 5G data through either millimeter wave or sub-6G gigahertz towers. Millimeter Wave is currently only available in a handful of cities, but that's what's supposed to be going wide later this year and next. The router can also support voice over LTE if you're interested in just making traditional phone calls. But this is the promise of 5G, at least for home Internet consumers. Quoting from Jeremy Horwitz in VentureBeat, D-Link's key selling point for the DWR 2010 is convenience. Assuming there's a 5G network in your neighborhood and 5G data pricing is reasonable, a cellular carrier could offer you high-speed home broadband service with zero installation hassle. Just plug the router into a wall near a window, and if the SIM card's pre-installed, join the network. In theory, the router could work with current and future AT&T and Verizon 5G services, and D-Link expects it will expand broadband availability to remote areas currently limited to dial-up and DSL services. A secondary selling point for the router is speed. The 5G gateway's bandwidth promises to stream 4K video content with ease and to support little to zero lag in online gaming. This sort of reduced latency is a key feature of 5G networks and is expected to enable both ultra-high resolution videos and instantly responsive, immersive 3D slash VR streaming, end quote. Now, caveat, caveat, Verizon currently offers 5G data in only four U.S. cities, but their 5G plan offers unlimited data for $70 a month. AT&T, however, has hinted that its forthcoming 5G service will be capped at 15 gigabytes of data a month, which would be pretty dumb because you would basically be able to blast through that in just a couple of days. But no one ever accused telecoms of not at least attempting to gouge you 
at least at first, on the price of any new technology before eventually bowing to the fact that any new technology will eventually become commoditized, of course. They just can never get over the fact that in the end, they're nothing but a series of dumb pipes. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from other retirement accounts with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk, including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to specific terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. Customers in good standing. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. I want to come back once again to Netflix's recent interactive Black Mirror episode, Bandersnatch, because... Far from just being a one-off gimmick, I've been reading and hearing a lot of things that suggest that this could actually be something of a watershed moment that maybe represents the ushering in of an entirely new format. Choose-your-own-adventure-style narratives. They're interesting, right? Intriguing. But more than interesting, such a format might actually have certain advantages that suggest that this is something we'll see a lot more of in the future because such a format is A, harder to pirate, And B, increases viewer engagement, which, guess what, gives programmers like Netflix more data about users. Now, of course, we know that Netflix uses data to help make programming and production decisions. They know what we watch and what we don't, and crucially, what we try and then abandon. But quoting from The Verge, by putting the same kinds of interconnected decision-making to work within one title, Bandersnatch can generate more robust pattern discovery and insights into trend analysis than traditional content can. Where the company previously focused its data gathering on the ways users engaged with content, 
what they watched, when, and for how long. This new data is indicative of real-world decisions like product preference, musical taste, and engagement with human behavior. Bandersnatch only presents users with two options at any given moment. In the future, Netflix could present scenarios with a greater number of choices, each tailor-made for data harvesting. Where sequencing is relative, such as the parallel branching storylines in Bandersnatch that portray different paths Stefan might take that have no bearing on each other, Netflix could position certain story beats before others, depending on who's watching and what their past choices have said about what they want out of a story, end quote. And wait, there's more? If you've watched Bandersnatch even for five minutes, then you'll know that the first choice you're asked to make is what cereal Stefan eats for breakfast. You see where this is going, right? Product placement? But more than that, we know from recent history, recent examples like, say, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, that in the world of big data, when you can keep track of user preferences, eventually you get enough data points that you can slice and dice all of those thousands of data points to create a profile of anybody. The classic hypothetical example is Democrats, say, tending to select Heinz ketchup while Republicans tending to prefer Hunt's. So in a scenario where Netflix can now track preferences inside of narratives, boom, a universe of fresh marketing and advertising possibilities. How ironic would it be if Black Mirror, the show famous for giving us a glimpse of a dystopian tech panopticon future, is actually instrumental in ushering in a new dystopian panopticon media and marketing future. Now it's time for the Weekend Long Reads brought to you by Nobody. If you're a brand or a company that wants to sponsor our most popular segment, the reason why Fridays are always the most downloaded day of the week, please get in touch at podcast at techmeme.com. First up, of course, the podcast recommendation for the week. We've been talking so much about Fortnite recently. I thought, I wonder if there's a whole ecosystem of Fortnite podcasts out there. Guess what? There is. And I found one podcast in that ecosystem in particular that I thought would be a good complement to this show because, like us, it's a daily show. Daily Fortnite is a podcast that comes out seven days a week. Just like this show, it's 15 to 20 minutes long. And like this show, you get the latest news, the latest updates in the world of Fortnite. But also, crucially, strategies, tips, tricks. The idea is to get better at the game. Every day, in every way, a little better Fortnite player. I find that idea fascinating. It's a news show, but it's also coaching you, kind of. Talk about news you can use. So if you're a Fortnite fanatic or just Fortnite curious, if you want to get a sense of what all the fuss is about, maybe search your podcast app for Daily Fortnite and subscribe. Next, this is not a long read suggestion, just a suggestion for you typography geeks out there. A group of designers have updated the Courier font, that classic holdover from the era of typewriters. It's called Courier Prime, and it's available to download for free under the open font license. Quoting the designers themselves, since the beginning, screenplays have been written in Courier. Its uniformity allows filmmakers to make handy comparisons and estimates such as one page equals one minute of screen time. But there's no reason Courier has to look terrible. We set out to make the best damn Courier ever, end quote. Check out the link in the show notes to Courier Prime. I'm not being paid to suggest this. 
I just saw it and thought it was cool. The first actual long reads suggestion is from the Huffington Post, and it's about Ambrosia, the startup that claimed by giving people infusions of blood from young persons, they might be able to help cure diseases and reverse aging. That weird vampiristic notion of taking the blood of the young to keep the old alive made for obvious framing headlines, scare headlines, joke headlines, along with rumors that Peter Thiel, among others, was interested in investing in the company. All that led to a lot of press attention for Ambrosia. But let's just say that when the Huffington Post took another look at the company recently, the science behind its service, the career of the 34-year-old founder, Jesse Carmazin, there were a lot of questions that popped up around Ambrosia. Chief among them, does the purported miracle medical treatment actually work? Next, we've been covering the evolving conventional wisdom that there is a new arms race among nation states to be the first to take advantage of the advances supposedly coming in artificial intelligence research. Fears of competing countries getting a leg up has led to calls to nationalize certain aspects of AI research to some degree, or even restrict research dissemination entirely on national security grounds. But as the drumbeat to do something along those lines in the U.S. has grown louder, there is also a growing concern in Silicon Valley that tying up AI research in red tape, even on national security grounds, would only serve to do the thing such restrictions were designed to prevent, i.e., allow other companies to leapfrog ahead of the U.S. in AI development. Quoting the New York Times piece on this, Tech companies, academics, and policymakers are calling on the Commerce Department to take a light hand with AI export rules ahead of a January 10th deadline for public comment. Their argument has three main points. Restrictions could harm companies in the United States and help international competitors. They could stifle technology improvements, and they may not make much of a difference anyway. Next, more on Netflix. The Ringer has a piece up about Bird Box that other recent Netflix original that has gotten a lot of attention. This is the movie starring Sandra Bullock, which Netflix took the rare step of bragging about, bragging about how many people watched it over the holidays. Netflix claimed 45 million accounts watched the film, the best-ever debut for an original movie on the platform, they said. If you're like me... You never heard of Bird Box, and then boom, sometime over the holiday weekend, you couldn't stop hearing about it because it was on all of social media all the time, especially that photo of a blindfolded Sandy Bullock in the boat. Well, this Ringer piece has a look at exactly that sort of memification about how getting a movie or a song to turn into a meme has suddenly become the most effective promotion you maybe don't even have to buy. And whether or not those bird box challenges on YouTube, those bird box dances on TikTok, and all the rest of it are actually organic, or if they're really just the clever long arm of Netflix PR and promotion behind all of this. Spoiler alert, the jury is still out on that question. Next, I'm quite sure this is the first time I've ever linked to a story from Audubon Magazine, the magazine of the Audubon Society. But there is a tech angle here, trust me. We knew Red Dead Redemption 2 was a huge, huge open universe game where you could do all sorts of things beyond just shooting people and riding horses. In fact, it turns out that if your hobby is birding, you can actually do some extensive birding in-game. 
So consider this a game review from a professional birder. Quote, In all, there are about 200 distinct interactive species of animals in RDR2 and more than 40 different plant species. I spent most of my time finding birds and was impressed with the breadth and relative accuracy of the species represented. Birds change with habitat. Rosette spoonbills and great egrets feed in the bayous of Saint-Denis. Laughing gulls and red-footed boobies roost along the coast, while eagles and condors soar over mountain peaks. Each of these are crafted with accurate field marks and habits. There are dozens of species I couldn't even find, including Carolina parakeets, Virginia's hawks, and pileated woodpeckers. Just like real-life birding, you're never guaranteed to see anything, end quote. And finally today, this is a piece that you're either smart enough to understand, so it's going to be right up your alley, or else you're like me and you try to understand it as best you can because you really want to feel like you're just the sort of person who is smart enough to read and understand pieces like this. It's from Quantum Magazine, and it's titled How Space and Time Could Be a Quantum Error Correcting Code. Here's a taste. Quote, a funny thing happened in 2014 when physicists found evidence of a deep connection between quantum error correction and the nature of space, time, and gravity. In Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity, gravity is defined as the fabric of space and time, or space-time, bending around massive objects. A ball tossed into the air travels along a straight line through space-time, which itself bends back toward Earth. But powerful as Einstein's theory is, physicists believe gravity must have a deeper quantum origin from which the semblance of a space-time fabric somehow emerges. That year, 2014, three young quantum gravity researchers came to an astonishing realization. They were working in physicists' theoretical playground of choice, a toy universe called anti-de-sitter space that works like a hologram. The bendy fabric of space-time in the interior of the universe is a projection that emerges from entangled quantum particles living on its outer boundary. Ahmed Almhieri, Dong, and Daniel Harlow did calculations suggesting that this holographic emergence of space-time works just like a quantum error-correcting code. They conjectured in the Journal of High Energy Physics that space-time itself is a code, in anti-de-sitter universes at least. The paper has triggered a wave of activity in the quantum gravity community, and new quantum error-correcting codes have been discovered that capture more properties of space-time, end quote. So, if, like me, you probably needed some helpful explainers just to get through some of that, I've also linked to the Hacker News thread about this piece, which does contain a lot of good links and summaries helpfully provided by the super nerds there. That is all for today and for this week. Quick programming note that those promised weekend bonus episodes will not be starting this weekend. I knew with the shortened week this week that folks would be coming back from vacation and this would not be the weekend to try to schedule interviews to launch the new episodes. But I have got them penciled in to start next weekend. And even then, that's flexible depending on how things go. But I promise they'll be coming soon. I've already actually recorded about three interviews for bonus episodes, and I think you're really going to love them. Deeper dives, as I said, into specific things we've spoken about. 
maybe even things we spoke about on today's show. Anyway, enjoy your weekend. Talk to you on Monday.